0: Just think we were prepared you know one thing my uh my trainer he told me he said what did he say he just told us to be prepared it's always doubt with us every year it's like oh well the saints can't do this because something or you know drew's gone and it oh i, I don't i'm the wrong person to ask because i don't care and i'm coming in every year to think that we're going to beat the shit. all right what up welcome to black and gold bs the irreverent saints podcast from boot crew media i'm jacob krasnow alongside my trusty co-host sean haspel uh what's up without allison no allison this week um uh, life happened she has a bunch of work to do or something uh but the truth is she probably like just doesn't want to talk about how uh, her her Team by proxy, the New York Giants are going to get absolutely trampled by the Saints on Sunday in the Superdome.
1: Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, not to like jump too far ahead into our any uh like predictions, or let's let's go ahead, let's just like start at the end and uh talk about our predictions for this upcoming uh week's game against the Giants. I i agree, I think they're going to get annihilated by the saints i mean uh, setting aside just the most important fact and the most obvious fact that the saints are just a much better team than the giants on pretty much all phases of the game uh i think their giants are walking into like an emotional buzzsaw um maybe not quite as intense as the uh original dome coming in 2006 but uh after everything with Hurricane Ida, uh, the last month or so, plus, uh, I mean, obviously everything that's happened with COVID, uh, there hasn't been a full packed house saints game since 2000, since, uh, since the Vikings lost in the playoffs in 2019, unfortunately. But, uh, so there's definitely, a palpable pent-up energy uh, in the fa- Saints fan base that is going to be uh, unleashed upon the G-Men on Sunday right. in the Superdome. So uh, I don't know how many dimes Danny dimes could drop that would make them uh, be able to overcome what's waiting for them. Uh, Saints going to be decked out in the all-black, presumably ready-, uh, ready to kick some ass
0: yeah uh, this is a discussion for another day, but i I hate those all black uniforms. Um but yeah, I mean, I agree. like you know, something weird could always happen and like Danny Dimes could run for like two hundred yards against us because we just like forget to like keep contain. I don't think this one is gonna be close at all. Um, everything you just said, I agree with. and that's really all we need to say. like our defense is good. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. And like the offense is good enough. Um, so earlier tonight we had some breaking news. Uh, Jeff Duncan of NOAA.com, times Picayune, uh, published a pretty lengthy article detailing the succession plan for the New Orleans saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. Once Gail Benson, uh, passes on, um, you know, this is uh, this is something we've talked about a lot between the mm-hmm. two of us. I mean, you work for the team. You've seen how the sausage is made, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you've, you've had some theories over the years about how the succession would be handled. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you'll address how accurate your predictions were. And it, you weren't too far off. Uh, but the basic broad strokes of the plan are that, uh, once Gail dies, uh, Dennis Lauscha will be the executor of the estate. Um, they'll sell the team, uh, and the proceeds of which will be distributed amongst various charitable organizations and causes. And, uh, that's a lot of money we're talking about. We're talking about probably upwards of $2.8 billion that's going to be put back into the, uh, I guess, the economy. I don't, I don't really know what you would call that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Sean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. So um, I, and I highly suggest for any of our readers who um, or, or listeners, excuse me, who uh, haven't yet read the piece on NOLA.com to, to please read it. It's uh, if you're a Saints fan, a Pelicans fan, or even just someone uh, who loves the city of New Orleans, it's a really important piece that's going to outline um something that if it comes to pass or apparently when it comes to pass eventually will be truly transformational um for the city and and the region the fact that uh the proceeds of a saints saints and or pelicans sale um the question is whether like they will be sold as a uh, one joint entity or or individually, but combined they're worth well over three billion dollars, probably closer to four billion, if not more. Um, and that money would be then turned around and, and reinvested into uh, the New Orleans region community. Uh man, that that that's that's pretty crazy to hear. Um, so as, as you alluded to, uh, I worked briefly for the Saints and Pelicans organization, on uh, their digital media team and whispers, uh, rumors of, uh, of something resembling this plan were, uh, talked about around the water cooler. Um, basically the biggest difference was that, um, not necessarily that the team would be sold like, uh, is will apparently be the case. But uh it, it was it was long believed that the Saints uh, top executives, including Saints Pelican's president, Dennis Lausha, um chief communications officer, vice president of communications, whatever his official title is, Greg Benzel, and uh Mickey Loomis, amongst potentially um uh, select few others, would be um Named as the trustees of, of uh, Gail Benson's estate when she passes, and that's and that's essentially what is going to be happening. Um, albeit that estate will be managing the uh, sale proceeds of the teams. So um, I know when anyone talks about the teams getting sold, uh, the immediate fire alarm, the the bells start going off. That oh, are, are they going to move? Are they going to move? Um, if you go and read the story, they emphasize like multiple multiple times that uh currently um the legal groundwork is being laid so that the teams will um not be able to move um and frankly they they get such a sweet deal from the state of louisiana and have such a loyal fan base that um it's not likely that a new owner would want to move the team. So, um, And more practically, the uh, list now that Vegas and uh, Los Angeles are off the uh, chessboard for potential um, new NFL city sites, uh, there really aren't that many practical and attractive potential NFL destinations to move a a city anyway. Uh, Basketball might be another story, but regardless, it seems that uh this deal is a win-win all around. But uh, that being said, Gail Benson, she's only 74. Um, she could live another 20, 25 years, and none of us would be too surprised. But uh, so this might not come to pass for an, a generation uh, from now even. But uh, certainly an, an interesting uh, concept to, to think about and one that'll uh, really, I mean, shape the future. Of our our favorite sports teams, as well as uh, the region we love.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I'm one of those people who has the, the alarm bell ringing in his head right now. Like, this is like an existential threat, yeah. basically, to the team that we like has been such a like integral part of our like lives, basically, for our entire yeah. lives. Um, like, anytime you talk about selling the team. Uh, you're talking about involving an external party because there's no one in Louisiana that can buy the Saints and the no. Pelicans. Definitely not both of them at the same time.
1: There are no uh, billionaires in the state. Yeah, right? according to uh, uh, Gail Benson herself is the uh, officially recognized as the only billionaire in the state of Louisiana. Um, lots of lots of uh, tri- triple-digit or uh, nine-digit... Uh, uh, millionaires probably, uh, making that, that that sweet oil money. But, uh, um, uh, (laughs) Gail's the only one in the three comma club, so to speak. So, um, it, it would have to be an outsider, which is, it is a scary proposition, but, um, and unfortunately I don't think the NFL, the NFL would allow a deal where like, all of the Mannings like pool their resources or as, as has been like rumored about, because I think I remember reading that uh, NFL bylaws state that one person has to own like 40% of the team or something like that. So essentially that means the majority owner has to be a bona fide billionaire uh, with the prices these teams are going for these days. So, um, so yeah, it will be an outside party, but uh, as I was just ranting about earlier, Uh, the way the saints are currently structuring their deal with the state of Louisiana and their lease with the Caesars Superdome. Um, It is a pretty ironclad agreement uh, for however long they decided to be. Um, Could be like a 30 year lease or even potentially longer. So um, it's definitely scary uncharted waters, but we also knew this day would come eventually so, um, well, yeah, we'll I mean, this it. is,
0: yeah. you know, you, you know, yes, Gail could live for another 20 years, but the more likely scenario is we're talking about like a massive foundational shift in how the team is run within yeah. the next five to 15 years. Yeah. Um, so this is something that's coming and okay. So, let's say the team legally cannot be moved out of the state or out of new Orleans. Great. So the next question is, can we trust the new owners not to meddle with mm-hmm. what the Bensons have built? And that's like almost as big of a, que- like that's as big of a threat as them moving the team because you could have like, you know, Gale is like fairly hands off when it comes to the football operations. So like, what if you have an owner that wants to say in personnel decisions that doesn't get along with Mickey Loomis, that doesn't get along with Sean Payton, provided that they're both still here, you know, when this day comes to pass, you know, you could see everything that like they've built get torn down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That I, you're, you're unfortunately, absolutely. um, That's an absolutely valid concern. Um, And like a, (laughs) <laughs> a more a more practical concern to like the the potential like wins and losses of the team, um, to say nothing of whether they would be actually remaining in in Louisiana. But um, speaking just on on the Saints side specifically, uh, one thing that you have to credit uh, Tom and now Gail for is that uh, ever really since the the Sean Payton era, uh, really for the last 15 years plus, um, they've operated with the ownership philosophy that they are going to spend the money to put on the field a, a product that like maximizes all of its financial resources with the goal of winning and basically like not worrying about the salary cap being right up to it every single year, which like we kind of take for granted, but there's plenty of teams in the NFL. They don't come close to the salary cap like year in year out or just barely above the salary floor. And that's not something that we've had to really worry about our ownership group doing. And furthermore, they've paid top dollar to keep top talent. Um, whether, I mean, that's Sean Payton himself, um, making him one of the highest paid coaches in, uh, in, in all of all sports really. And uh, when there's been multiple teams that have wanted to hire him away over the years and uh, uh, taking that hands off approach that um, allowing Peyton and, and, and Loomis and, and their, their respective groups to, to do what they do, all the names are winning. And uh, the Bensons, yeah, like I said, to their credit, they just say, tell us what you need and we'll open the checkbook. So um, and there's absolutely no guarantee that the next owner will uh, take that same the, the same approaches and th- that is scary but i feel like uh, it's lame it was a cop out answer to say but that's not something we can worry about until the, we get there you know so um yeah but it's definitely something to consider and uh if anything it it, it should make us appreciate um our current uh setup as much as possible and uh hopefully we can um as successful as the saints were uh, in the, in the breeze Peyton era, hopefully the next uh, Peyton Jameis or whoever era um, is successful because you, you you never know, you never know how things are going to turn out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that scenario is worth mentioning because not so long ago, Rita Benson, LeBlanc was written out of the will, like because she was unstable and couldn't be trusted. Yeah. So, you know, when you're introducing external elements into the equation, these types of things need to be considered. You know, the other thing that I am wondering about with this succession plan is like, I, I'm very curious to know like where they would reinvest this pro these proceeds from the sale of the yeah. team. Yeah. Like I almost feel like this is that, huge amount of money, like you have to be able to trust the people that are going to be handling. And I think Lausha and Loomis probably can do like a good job, but it's so much money and it could be so transformational. Like I can't help, but worry that like they're going to give it to somebody that's just going to waste it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like, I mean, that's a real concern, but I, you can't worry about that right now, you know. Um, yeah. It it's also like kind of funny now that they're they've they've laid this all out there that all of the organizations and and like again like sidebar like the the Bensons have been very charitable like already um, giving away like I think almost like fifty million dollars over the last like couple decades um to various charities around the area like very very worthy charities i know like auctioner has like a whole like cancer um department uh, dedicated to them and we know all the work they've done for better and for worse for the archdiocese and uh, like schools like jesuit and brother martin and all these great um places around new orleans but um it's just kind of funny that like all of these charities are going to be like extra nice to them now be like oh so uh how are you doing? Can we like put you on the dais at our, one of our functions? Like, please, like, let's name something after you before you die so we can get in your good graces. But, um, that's just, I mean, it's
0: kind of gross. gross. Like Like, why? I I almost feel like they should have not said anything about the the succession plan to prevent that type of behavior.
1: Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, at the same time, she, as we said, she's the only billionaire in the state of Louisiana. So like, these people are already like riding her dick. Sorry like, to say, but like, that's probably already happening. And, and to what degree um, that increases is, is, I mean, who knows? It's probably marginally increases, but I, I, I do think there's probably something to be said um, for uh, the, just like getting out ahead of the story. I mean, who knows why they chose to go public um, with the, with the, uh, cooperation of, uh, or the assistance rather of a times pick Nola.com, the advocate, or I don't know a Fox eight, I don't know who all was involved in this, but, um, all seems like all of the media entities of South Louisiana were involved, but Jeff Duncan, Jeff Duncan. Um, but, uh, I don't know who knows why they chose this, this moment to go public with it. But, um, there's probably a reason, I mean, probably if you're trying to just game it out and be cynical about it, I know like they're currently doing in 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 uh, engaged in the uh, negotiations with the state for the lease. And uh, by putting this out there now, potentially maybe that's like greasing the, the skids a little bit um, to be like, hey, you know, you guys are gonna give us, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, this is exactly how it went down they they're basically asking for like bigger tax breaks. Right. And they are like, okay, yeah, you're giving us tax breaks now, but all that money is to get reinvested back into the community once we're gone. So like it's a yeah. win win.
0: So it's a great I- point. Like also from a PR perspective, like you're saying, uh, okay, we are going to keep the team in the state. And like, we have begun these negotiations to yeah. keep them here. But like, Joe Blow on the street doesn't know. Like, we don't know if that's actually true. Right. Like, what if something falls through? Like, now the Saints yeah. can say, oh, it's the politicians' fault. Yeah. Like, the state government, they're the ones that fucked this up, not us. So it's yeah. almost like a blame-shifting technique.
1: And now that I'm thinking about it on that level, also from the other perspective, I think the st- like, the like the parties they're negotiating with – in the state government level probably also wanted out there just to be like, look, like we're giving the saints this sweetheart deal, but they're going to like reinvest it in the end. So don't like get mad at us for getting bent over the barrel by them. So, um, like it's going to come back around and like, they're loyal to the soil. So, um, yeah. Okay. It's all, it's all, it's all come back together, man. Time is a flat circle. This has happened before, and it will happen again. (laughs) Nobody mows my lawn. Oh my god! Uh, Season one, true detective. We need a soundboard. This
0: podcast needs a fucking soundboard.
1: We do. We do. Shout out! Shout out to Saints Happy Hour. They do a really good job with that. Solve your problems with aggression. That's what (laughs) we need. We need to get a. (laughs) We need to get uh, Thomas from Poland. We need to get his like brother. Jonas, from from poland to be our uh Jonas, Jonas? yeah yeah he can be our, our european european uh sound mixing producer for the pod um we can't i wonder if pay.
0: they know like do they know that we exist one day they're gonna no. find out that we exist no and uh not. like i have that theory uh that they they read one of my boot crew articles and were making fun of the title a couple weeks ago. Okay. Uh, no, it was more than that. It was like over the summer when I said uh, the the Saints had a gaping hole at cornerback, and they kept gaping. they kept saying that they used that phrase over and over in one of their podcasts.
1: It is rather evocative. It um, is, but um, oh, and anyway. I and ironically, if, I don't know how how much we want to actually get into. Real football talk. Um,
0: we should. This week, we should but, at some point. Uh,
1: but the the gaping hole at cornerback is no more. Um, it's like the deepest position on our team right now. We've got we're like three the, or four uh, guys that could start for like most teams in the NFL. So,
0: right. Yeah. So we did beat the Patriots twenty eight to thirteen. We we're, did. We're that carrying the lead. Um, yeah, our defense looks incredible. Whoops! I should probably silence my phone.
1: Sport um, ladies and gentlemen, that's that's how dedicated Jacob Krasno is to being up to date on the latest sports news. Right there, He's getting the push notifications pushed right to him, which are pushed right to you in your earbuds that you're going to find out about some hours after it actually happens because that's the nature of this medium. But um, go right ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is what happens when Allison doesn't show up.
1: No, things go off we the rails. Be,
0: we need to be policed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Idiots. I mean, the Patriots game was, it was fun. The defense is awesome. Debo kept Roby on the bench, which is like an incredible surprise. Yeah. Um, the
1: offense like on is one still hand, poo. yeah. Yeah. Like Paulson Debo is so good that he basically makes the like starting cornerback that we traded a third round pick for, like not obsolete, but like definitely a luxury at this point, but that's like a good problem to have. He's been, he's been really solid. I think Malcolm Jenkins in his, in his uh, media availability this week was just saying how he's like the, one of the most like locked in polished rookie corners he's like ever seen in his whole career. And that's like saying something from a old head, like uh, like Malcolm. Jenkins, so like, well, it's pretty uh, amazing that like yeah. you know
0: when Roby played in place of Lattimore, he was like never targeted. Lattimore himself yeah. is rarely targeted, so these teams are just picking on Adebo all the time, and yeah, like he's not given up any plays of note.
1: Yeah, like you know, there's some
0: dinks and dunks there, but like there's nothing. Yeah. You know, there's no like burnt toast. Plays that we can point to and say that he dropped the ball or Let's, he was holding and had like a fifty-yard like defensive yeah. pass interference call. He's, like he's, he's, he's given up some
1: penalties, but that's I mean that's gonna happen, you know. And he did didn't wasn't he the one who got like kind of mossed in the Patriots game? But like the game was so well out of hand that like it doesn't matter. Uh, he did he did, oh, he did yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah. Like
0: I mean, I don't even remember the uh Kendrick Bourne, right? It was Kendrick yeah. Bourne. Like, made like an incredible play, staying in bounds and like scoring yeah, touchdown.
1: Yeah. But like, like the, the game was pretty much over at that point. And yeah, I don't know. Again, he's a rookie corner playing in his third ever NFL game. He didn't even play football all last year. So, like, he's still knocking off, dusting off the uh, rust, knocking it off um, from like all the way back in 2019. So, like, I think uh, he's looking like a steal in the third round. And, uh, tip your hat again to Loomis, Peyton, and Jeff Ireland for a, another seemingly good draft. Um, you know, I mean, Peyton, Peyton Turner, and uh, they, they really like Pete Werner as well. So Werner, Turner, Burner, Flerner, all, all of them, all of them are doing great. So, um, yeah, man, defense is good. It's a Super yeah. Bowl caliber defense, but uh, we'll yeah, see how so- good the offense can be.
0: I guess like the big takeaway from the Patriots game, or at least like the sort of the, the vibe in like the media. And this was something that was like brought up in the post game press conference. Is like, everybody wants to like put a label on this team and like try to yeah. figure out like what this team's identity is. And like, Dave Cariello from our favorite saints podcast, saints happy hour. Like he seems to have an idea of like who we are. And like Jeff Duncan wrote a column about like the saints, like knowing who they are. But I, I think that's bullshit. It's stupid. Like it's way too early to make any of those determinations. Like this is obviously an incomplete product. Yeah. We're seeing on the football field. Like the defense looks great, but like Jameis Winston has no weapons. The offensive line is banged up. Like, and Peyton keeps saying like over and over again, like in his press conferences, like, Oh, we're in the, the business of winning. It doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing, but like, I don't buy that for one second. Like there's no way that he is satisfied with Jameis throwing for less than 150 yards. Like there's no way they're happy with that. Um, And I think that's going to change.
1: For sure. I, I I definitely agree. Um, I, I mean, I do, I do think that the defense, like it definitely is. And I think they will remain the strength of this team. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's awesome to have an elite defense. Um, but yeah, but just to like say like, this is who the offense will be is like kind of ridiculous. Um, I think and we've talked about this offline previously, but, um, I think we as a fan base and we, as folks who kind of like analyze the team, um, need to kind of like take a step back and like reframe our view of this saints offense. And like, even though a lot of, the players on this current Saints offense have been with the team for the last like handful of years. Um, and during the, the run that was like really successful in the, the, the previous four years, um, I think we need to kind of almost view this offense like the first year of the new era, almost and essentially like our 2006 offense where it really was not a thing of of beauty um really like at all like that season i mean the the saints 2006 offense was so such a joy for us to see because the previous off, hazlitt era offenses were were so bad like we we just hadn't seen like elite like good competent offense in new orleans like ever really so yeah, just well, we a had seen it air. in spurts. You know, there were game, you yeah, know,
0: like Joe Horn had four touchdown catches in a game. Like Deuce McAllister had a season where he had right. sixteen hundred rushing yards. Right, but, right, like, right. It was never good enough to to carry like a bad defense. Um, And Aaron Brooks made too many mistakes.
1: Right, exactly. But like even at the end of two thousand six, Drew Brees finished with, I believe, twenty six touchdowns and thirteen total turnovers. Like that's nothing to write home about through three games in 2006, where like comparable to where we are right now. Um, the saints were three and zero, but Drew Brees only had three touchdowns. Excuse me. Yeah. Three touchdowns to four turnovers. Conversely, Jameis leading the two and one saints has eight touchdowns, two turnovers. So like, Drew Brees in 2006 wasn't the Drew Brees, especially at this stage in the 2006 season, Drew Brees wasn't the Drew Brees who we know now that he came to be. Like that took time and like guidance and growth and a symbiotic development of relationship between him and Sean Payton. And I think we all just kind of need to like take a step back and be like, look, James Winston is literally, 27 years old, the same age that Drew Brees was when he took over that saints team in 2006. So like, it doesn't seem like that. Cause like, we've like seen Jameis play for so long. It seems like, it seems like he's older than that. And it seems like Drew Brees was younger than that when he took over the saints, but they're the same age. And like, we, I like for all of his faults, Jameis and Sean Payton and the saints offense deserve the benefit of the doubt and our patience to see what they become. Like that's not me saying that Jameis is going to, okay. I'm not saying Jameis is going to become Drew Brees. I'm not even saying Jameis is going to become a plus NFL starting quarterback, let alone like a, a playoff caliber championship caliber starting quarterback. But I, all I'm saying is like you said, the jury is out and forming a, a opinion after, three games less than a fifth of the season uh is like totally reactionary and really uninformed so as i know we all love our hot takes our snap judgments but we really just have to like it's it's a cop out to say but we have to wait and see so that's yeah
0: i I sort of feel like it's uh it's almost like when those questions get asked and Press conferences, and obviously they've been asked multiple times because Payton's talked about it multiple times. Like it's uh, I just think even the me- the members of the media covering the team like don't know what to do. Like this is yeah. such this is such a new thing for everybody. We're all trying to figure it out, um, and that includes the beat reporters.
1: I think, like you said, they don't know what to do because it's just like such a jarring departure from the all like. Effic- like efficiency I feel like was what encapsulated the saints offense for even like in Drew Breesy's later years when his arm wasn't as strong, like we still had a very efficient offense and we able to like move the ball and stuff, but um, like very like consistently. And like, we're not seeing that right now, but uh, I mean, it's, I, I, and maybe, it, maybe it never comes. Like maybe, james doesn't settle and maybe the offensive line doesn't like the, the young parts of the offensive line don't regel and there's always someone like hurt and and, and in and out maybe michael thomas doesn't come back at like 100 health and and speed and doesn't provide that like extra gear like you think we might but i just think it's like i said it's 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 too soon to tell and um I, I, I and that actually is almost exciting to me because like we don't know what it's going to be like. The Saints' offense, in all of its glory for its 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 heyday run under Peyton and Breeze, like we just when when we had our inevitable like one or two clunker games every season where the offense like didn't work those were so shocking that it was like very unsettling. But then we also knew that the offense would just fix itself eventually. But now like we, I mean, we don't know and it's, it's, it is jarring, but I think it's also kind of exciting to see like what this becomes and like to see if they can figure it out and to know that if they do figure it out, there's a championship caliber defense that they're going to be paired with and that and that defense can as we've seen when we were 2 and 1 uh that defense can carry them in a lot of games this year so um
0: yeah, yeah like i you're right like it it i'm more excited about like waking up on sunday morning to watch this game these games than i have been in like a long time like since i was like in high school yeah. or call like since I was a lot younger um, I'm not that old but I'm very old um, yeah like so one interesting like bit of trivia that I was thinking about during your 2006 rant is that uh, yeah like, during the dome coming game against the Falcons Drew Brees didn't score a touchdown there were only nope. two touchdowns in that game one of them was the the punt block and the other one was an end around, it was a reverse, that Devery Henderson scored. So the Saints didn't yep. throw a passing touchdown in that game, and they only scored 23 points.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, when I was looking at the stats for 2006 the other day, I saw that myself, and it it, it is kind of jarring because we've kind of like a memory hold that game into being like the coming out party and the official debut of the, the P- breeze Peyton air and the Gulf coast offense. And just like everything that w- would become of it, but the office wasn't that good in that game. Like you said, we scored one offensive touchdown. So, um, uh, and yeah, so um, baby steps, like, and, and, and like, that's it's 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 lame it's not fun to cause to uh to urge patience and uh understanding but um i mean that's that's i think that's, the smartest course the of action right now it's the it's reality, reality man like so, it's you know it's like, like
0: if somebody if if the saints were a pizza like it's like somebody got this like great dough and they they got great like sauce but like, they only put a couple slices of American cheese on it. So it's, you know, like parts of it are really good, but like, of course, it's going to, part of it's going to taste like shit. It's just not a complete product yet. And it's probably going to be a couple weeks, if not longer, before like we really know what this team's capable of.
1: That was an incredible metaphor, man. I can tell you're a writer.
0: I like to use pizza metaphors. I think my most infamous pizza metaphor, at least among my LA friends, is uh, uh, in regards to The Last Jedi, which is one of the most egregious pieces of filmmaking uh, that has ever graced the silver screen. Or is is it the silver screen? The big screen. Uh, You know, it's like that movie was like, like Star Wars is, is like a Domino's pizza. You know, you know what to expect. Like, you know what you want. It's just like guilty pleasure, like hangover food. And you order your Domino's pizza and you're so excited for it. And then you get it and you open the box and it's like some artisanal crap that costs $25 and has like one glob of uh, like mozzarella cheese on it. Like, that's what The Last Jedi was. It was like a weird like artsy fartsy take on star Wars that like didn't have any of the things that made the franchise fun. Um, and then Luke disintegrated for no reason. Spoiler alert. Um, anyway, that's my star Wars pizza rant.
1: Uh, Wow. Thank you, Jacob. That was enthralling. Uh, our
0: listeners, our listeners can't see, but Sean actually shed a tear.
1: I did. It was beautiful. Um, And I think that's a great way to wrap up today's episode folks.
0: Yeah, we got to go. We have to leave. I have to travel to new Orleans to go to the giants
1: game this weekend. And for Sean's sister's wedding. Oh, well I'll be, I'll, I'll see you there. I I guess.
0: Yeah. Shouts to Hillary and Ryan.
1: Many years of happiness to the, to the married couple to be, they'll never listen to this. Never. Never. Um, well, uh, I, I, I guess I should uh, shout out our, our sponsor, our presenting sponsor, Hornitos Tequila. You know, Hornitos uh, Tequila is the official tequila of uh, directors of New Orleans charities who realize they're about to get a shit ton of money sent their way as soon as uh, Gale B. passes on to the greater beyond. So um, here's to you, New Orleans charities, for all the good things that are to come your way soon.
0: Wow. Poetry in motion once again. All right, well, for Sean Haspel, I'm Jacob Krasnow, and this has been uh, Black and Gold BS, the Irreverent Saints podcast. That's what it's called, right? right. Yeah.
1: Good stuff. (laughs) Did we not name it at the front?
0: (laughs) Did we not say the name of the podcast at the beginning?
1: Uh, Who knows? I don't remember. Who knows? I've been in a, a fugue state.
0: Anyway, yes. We'll see it. Well, well, no one will see us because we keep trying to post this on YouTube, but it doesn't work. You'll all listen to us next week after the Saints uh, ravage the New York
1: Giants. So,
0: until then, who dat?
1: Who dat?